Hey guys, this is Mark Kenyon of Wired to Hunt, and you're listening to the audio version of the 100% Wild podcast. Today in the show, Matt and I are answering a listener-submitted question about how to get out of your hunting locations without spooking deer. And we discuss how we both recently wrapped our tags around great whitetail bucks. We had an absolute blast sharing our stories in this one, so with that said, let's get right into it, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon of Wired to Hunt, and with me today is Matt Drury of Drury Outdoors, and we're going to be answering a listener-submitted question about entering and exiting your tree stands. But before we do that, it's just me and Matt today, and we've got some good stuff to talk about, don't we? I think so. I mean, we've <laughs> kind of been on hiatus here the last 10 days, two weeks, but for good reason. Yeah. I think everybody right now has one thing on their mind and one thing only, and that's how to get as much time in a tree as possible. True <laughs> story. And that's that's probably been a bigger challenge for you than me. Um, you've got some exciting news on that front, right, that we haven't absolutely. been able to share since the last episode? Yeah, absolutely. My wife had uh, our second baby on November the 5th, Friday, November the 5th, Lola Jolie. She was six pounds, 15 ounces, 20 inches long. She's healthy. Uh, back That's home awesome. and everybody's good to go. So that was, uh, that was the most exciting part about my first week in November. That is great. I'm excited for it. Congratulations. And, and you even did still get to get some hunting in though too, right? I was giving you a hard time about it, but you still managed to pull both off. <laughs> I did. I did. I don't, I don't know how happy everybody was about it, but I did, <laughs> I did attempt it. I, uh, she had her on Friday, the fifth and we got home from the hospital on Sunday I hunted Monday morning at the lease, so I got up at 3 a.m. on Monday morning. It was brutal, too, because the baby woke up at midnight, and the baby woke up again at 2.30, and I was up both Ugh. times. And finally, I was like, all right, I'm just staying up this time. And short short amount of sleep that night, but we headed wow. up to the lease and uh, gave, it a, gave it a good shot for a morning hunt. I stayed in until maybe 11 or so, and it was brutal because my camera guy – forgot all his camo at home so we get to the lease <laughs> how do you do that we get to the lease and this camera guy he's a little bit huskier uh than i am and not saying i'm trim by any means but he's a little <laughs> bit huskier than i am but he's been losing weight so we get up there and i could hear him over at his truck he's like oh crap oh. <laughs> and i'm almost ready because i just as soon as we got out of the truck i told him uh, we both got our trucks at the same time, and I told him, I said, hey, now we're pushing. I could see daylight cracking. I said, we need to get our butt moving and get back there because we were going in after hook. We were going into a timber set, and it it's probably the one spot that takes me a little bit to get back to. And once we creep into the timber, we got to be slow and quiet and all that good stuff. So I'm getting ready, and I hear him, oh, no, oh, crap, you got to be kidding <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> it's like, I don't have my camo. I'm like, what? You don't have your camo? He's like, I was, he had a scent crusher bag and he was regenerating the scent or whatever the uh -huh. night before in his garage. And he forgot to put it into his truck in the morning. Oh, I said, Aaron, you know, so I had a bunch of gear in my bag. And so I'm throwing him hoodies and try this, try that, whatever. And no, no problem on the top. I found one big enough for the top, but the pants wouldn't fit. And so by pure chance, I have uh, in one of my totes in the back of my truck, I had just like generic moss yoke camo that I bought at Walmart for mm -hmm. whatever the need may be. You know, uh, say there's a tough track job or something. I don't want to get my good camo screwed up. I'll wear that stuff. Sure. So 
that stuff always runs really large. I was like, all right, try this. So, cause he was like, I'll just wear jeans. I'm like, which, you know, is, is what probably a lot of people do. But when you're filming like we are, that's kind of like sacrilegious almost. Sure. So I was like, all right, try these. They fit. But by that time it's like six o'clock and it's, oh, geez. you know, this is after the time change. And so it's cracking daylight. And I was like, all right, let's go. So we haul butt. We're going back there. We get to the timber and <clears throat> we're slowly creeping in there. And I hear doo, 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 doo. big, big body. You could tell it wasn't a doe. I mean, it uh-huh. was a very mature buck. I hate that sound. 30 yards from us goes running off. Okay. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I'm just, he goes, that sounds like a mature deer. And I was like, oh no, you know, <laughs> said yeah. the choice word there. I was like, oh no, you know, no kidding. And he's like, <laughs> so I was like, come on, let's go. So we get, we get to the stand, we get settled. And by that time it's 620. And I think daylight 626 at that point, you know, and I'm like, all right, so we still got to get our Ozonics up and all of our gear, you know, so we got settled. Needless to say, we didn't really see much activity uh-huh. that morning. Well, Wednesday I hunted all day. So I took Tuesday off because I want to remain married. Sure. And, That's probably a good idea. Yeah. And Wednesday I get in there and we hunt all morning and I had an encounter with a good eight pointer that we just started getting pictures of, just didn't come where I needed him to. And we're in that same timber set. So we get down at 11 and I go check the cameras and there's hook the deer we've been after. Uh. He's at eight forty AM and he's not far from where we jumped that deer two days before. So in my mind, I have no idea what deer it is, but in my right. mind, it was hook. There was no Ugh. other deer that could have been that loud and that big, but he didn't blow, you know, he didn't blow out of there. He didn't right. know what we were. He just knew something was moving there that shouldn't have been. And he, he took off. So anyways, I hunt on Wednesday and then I uh, decided to stay home Thursday and that was it. I had my mm. other police partner came in and he hunted Friday through Tuesday, but he didn't have any luck. He had a chance to kill a really nice uh, ten pointer, about 150 inch ten pointer. Got it on video, but he had some some mechanical issues with his equipment. User error. <laughs> Sounds like there was all sorts of just debacles at your lease last week. <laughs> there was. But needless to say, we're gonna give it a rest for yeah. about a week or two until gun season's over. And uh, hopefully they're using it as a sanctuary. Oh, man. How about you, man? How's uh, You had some luck in Ohio, didn't you? Well, I did. Well, I did. Um, but, you know, next time we have Mark on the podcast, he's going to give both you and me a hard time because you can't kill Hook and I can't kill Holyfield. So <laughs> You got think, that right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we're not quite at his level yet. Uh, so, yeah, I, I was trying to kill Holyfield for a long time and just could never get close enough. He was always... Just on the other side of the line, I got I had him within 60 yards once, um, but yeah, I took off for Ohio last Tuesday, I think it was, and um, man, it was brutally tough for the first five days, um, just nothing moving. It was, you know, I think it was either a combination of that lockdown phase of the rut, you know, a lot of bucks were probably with those, yeah. um, and or one of the neighboring properties used to be unhunted. And so I think that always helped us as we kind of had this sanctuary right next to ours and a lot of deer moved in between. Well, this year, a couple of guys picked it up and are hunting it. So I was, you know, as every day was going by and I'm seeing like two deer a day and I'm hunting the entire day, like 13 hours yeah. a day. And I'm seeing a doe and a forky and a doe and a spike <laughs> or something like that. I'm like, what happened to this place? Um, so all my buddies left. They were there for a while. They took off, went home. It got to be Sunday night and... 
I'd hunted like all my best rut spots. You know, those first four days I was hunting, okay, great funnel here, great doe bedding area here, another good funnel here. Um, we had good cold front come through, good temperatures, like 28 degrees, hard frost, nothing. Wow. So, yeah, we get to Sunday night, and I'm like, screw it, I'm just going to try something different. Um, so I went to the opposite corner of this farm, and it's a small farm, it's only 90 acres, of which really there's only 45 acres of timber, so there's not a whole lot to work with anyways. Um, yeah. But I went into this corner where there's like no timber on our farm, really. I'm just hunting this little pocket of timber in the tiny corner here, but it's near this neighboring property where I can see our big wide open bean field, and I can see our neighbor's bean field. And in the past, you could usually, during the rut, there'd be some activity. In one of those fields, you'd see some does, and if there's does, you know, hopefully there's good buck. I always thought, if we sat here long enough, we'll eventually see a good buck and be able to call him over to this location if we have a decoy. Yeah. So that's what I decided to try. I put up my decoy and kind of crossed my fingers and just hoped maybe if there, you know, if there's a miracle, maybe a big buck will cruise through here. We'll hear me call to him and we'll like the decoy and come in. And uh, man, it, it actually happened. I guess I believe in miracles now because, <laughs> and I think you and me were texting that night and I was telling you how freaking lousy it was. And we were. then like minutes after I told you this is horrible, I see this just wall of tines coming across the field a couple hundred yards away. And I just gave him a real loud couple grunts. And on the third one, he finally heard me, spun to look in my direction, and he saw that decoy and just came in. I mean, just like, you know, just like one of your guys' uh, TV shows, uh, <laughs> he came right in. And it was just the coolest thing I'd ever seen because I'd never, I've tried the decoy before, um, yeah. but I'd never had a mature buck see it when I had it out. So this is the first time a nice buck was ever present and saw my decoy. So he came in just like he hoped he would, and um, I got a 30-yard shot. He circled, ah. you know, postured, circled right in, and almost broadside shot. And the shot was a little bit back, um, so I left him overnight. But uh, he was 100, 150 yards away the next morning. So Awesome, man. It was so, cool. So what – hey, two questions. What kind of decoy were you using? I know you said buck, but what what brand decoy? I mean, there's so many different styles and looks out there. Yeah. And then and then, how did you have the decoy positioned compared to where you were in your stand? Yeah. So, this was the um, oh gosh, it's the 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 boss buck. That's either oh. Primos or Mad or one of the two. I'm Mad, not sure. Yeah. Is it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that was the one I used, and I used just one antler on him. I'd heard from, I think it was John Dudley, um, who I had out, had on our Wired Hunt podcast once, and I read an article from him once where he's got this kind of specific way he sets up a decoy, and it's worked out really well for him. So I just kind of followed his instructions to a T. So one antler, so it does not seem like too dominant of a buck. Mm -hmm. And then I had that buck set up so that the wind would be blowing from the decoy towards me, mm -hmm. so that you know if a deer tried to get downwind of that decoy to smell it, he'd be within range. Yeah, And then I also had the head of that buck decoy angled sort of towards me. Not looking right at me, but just off my left shoulder. Okay. So when that okay. buck did come in, he came in, circled downwind, just like you'd think he would, and then tried to approach that deer head on. And when he makes that turn to come around, gave me a perfect shot. And what was really good, like I'm really glad I had a decoy. A, because you know I don't think that deer would come my way if I didn't. But mm. B, I didn't realize it at the time, but this tree is just lousy at this time of year. The tree I was in, like there's no good cover. Yeah. And, um, as I was sitting there, I was like, Oh my gosh, why did we ever, 
I can't remember. I think this was like a tree we set up the very first time we ever hunted this property, and it was like a hanging hunt, and it, we just kind of put it in the first tree. And then I yeah. guess we got lazy and never moved it to a better tree and haven't hunted it recently. Yeah. Well, now on a minute, I'm like, okay, wow, this is like I'm hung out to dry. Um, so it, I was really nervous when this buck was coming in. I was like just so slow because I thought if I make any movement at all, like he's going to spot me. But luckily, he was just so locked on that decoy, he didn't care. He was just so focused on that. That's so. one of the beauties of the decoy. He's visually, he doesn't care about anything else than, other than that deer. I mean, there's – exactly. I was just talking with my cousin actually this morning on the way to work here, and he he uh, Justin Lurk, he's one of our Bow Madness guys. Mm-hmm. He was out filming his dad uh, during the rifle season in Missouri, and he said he was he had a really nice deer at the end of the field, and he was grunting at him, and he couldn't, you know, it felt felt like it spooked the deer. I said, well, yeah, if you were in a wide open field and he's not seeing anything you know that yeah. they got visually that kind of almost scares him. I was like, did he end up circling downwind? He's like, yeah, he did. I said, well. <laughs> He hear, he hears it, but he's not going to come straight at you unless he's got some sort of visual, even a doe decoy, you know, or to show that there were deer out there would have helped. But it's interesting that you say that. They really, this time of year, they really seem to lock in and, and it's a laser focus. Yeah, it was, like I said, it was really cool. It was one, like, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't happen in Michigan. There's just so many hunters that um, from everything I've ever seen, it's just the deer do not react positively to decoys because every kind of trick like that they've seen a thousand times um so i just don't even bother with a decoy in my home state so i've always just brought it out with me occasionally when i go out of state iowa ohio whatever and um finally seeing it happen like you know it's supposed to was uh that was just it was just a cool hunt you know it wasn't the biggest deer in the world wasn't the oldest deer in the world but it was just such a cool experience and encounter seeing this deer coming in like that all bristled up and posturing yeah. and just ready to tear this thing to pieces uh it was it, it's something I'll remember forever. So, so you filming? You were filming. You film all your own hunts, right? Yeah, self filmed it. How did that go? Uh, well, I got it on film. Um, the footage is actually really good. Um, the only downside was that I couldn't get really great um, footage of him coming in because the way the situation was was you know I've got my bow in my left hand and my right hand I'm grabbing the camera arm and trying to position this angling towards where this deer is coming. Well. I've got one set of branches that came out into the field between me and the far left side of this field. I've got a great view of everything else, but the far left side of this little opening, the branch is covered. Well, that seemed that ended up being where he came through. So every time I tried to pan the camera over there to try to see him walking in, it would focus on the branches and not the deer. And I had it on autofocus just because, yeah. you know, with just Save being me. Yeah. yeah. So I ended up just saying, screw it, and I turned the camera towards the decoy. And then zoomed out a little bit so that eventually when he'd come towards that decoy, I'd at least be able to get the shot. So sure. not a whole ton of footage leading into it, but really good footage once he came into the frame. And uh, and that was cool. It's it's always a challenge doing it on your on your own. But uh, I couldn't imagine. I, I couldn't imagine. That's uh it's one thing to film your hunts. It's I mean, and, and having another guy in the stand with you and the double scent and the silhouettes and all that, but it's a whole different level to self film your hunts. Like yeah. I ton of respect for you because that is not easy at Thank all. Thank you. Yeah. Any kind of footage in that because I mean you you got a job at hand already. Right. To just get the deer, you yeah. know, and make sure you got the yardage and especially bow gun is a little different mm-hmm. because you can you know maybe do get away with a little bit more, but with a bow, I mean, there's so much. I mean, they they're so close to you first, and yeah. then the yardage they could walk a couple yards one way or the other. I mean, that's 
mucho respeto to you. Man. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, man. I've uh, I've certainly had my share of encounters where I missed the shot, where I was trying, well, missed the film of it because I was trying and it didn't, you know, he walked out of the frame or whatever. But luckily this year, I'm two for two. Two shots, two kills on film. So hey, I, uh, I can't can just complain. Eat- to catch up to Holyfield and make it three for three. Oh my gosh, that would be that would be incredible. If I'm if I can pull that off, this would be a season for the record books for me. So that's awesome. That's we'll, awesome. Uh, we'll see. But you, my friend, you also still, despite you know, despite a new baby and debacles on the lease, you were able to get it done too, right? I was, and despite your memes that said <laughs> all day November sits yeah. and were pictures of babies crying, I still got it done. <laughs> so how, how'd you pull it off? Well, I pulled up, <laughs> pulled up everything, and I went to dad's. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, you know, we every year it's the tradition is I head up to dad's no matter what's going on. I always head up to dad's for the Missouri opening weekend of firearm season, and. Um, so, you know, I, I had hunted Monday morning at the lease. I had hunted all day Wednesday. And then I had told my wife that I wanted to go up there Friday and try to hunt Friday evening with my bow and then, you know, be there Saturday, Sunday. And, of course, I told her, hey, maybe I'll get something Friday and I can come home soon. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, maybe. which did not happen. <laughs> maybe it'll happen Saturday morning and I'll uh-huh. be home Saturday night. That didn't happen either. But it was – Hands down, and obviously going to, you know, I've never hunted Mark's place, but going to Mark or Terry's places, it's, you know, like going to a Bill Winkie's or the Lakoski's. It's just, man, and I've gotten uh, to gain a lot more respect for your everyday guy with a lease or a small track or just from trying to accomplish it on my own on my lease, you know, no help outside help, so to speak. And I mean, I've always been very well aware that these guys have done all the work. They got everything set up and it's a habitat up there that is hard to match. I mean, they're doing it right, everything right. And it's very little pressure and they got a big track. So I understand all those things. And, um, you know, so anytime I get to go up there, it's always so eye opening because a good night on the lease, I might see four or five deer, you know, a huge night would be to see 10 or 12. And that would be if I'm sitting in a spot where I can see a, a ton of land. Sure. Well, there are dads. It's just different. It's, um, you know, it's, you'll see on a good night where they're moving, where the weather conditions are good. And if you're sitting in the interior of the property, you could see 30 deer pretty easily. A lot of does obviously, nice. but it just it's amazing to be in that kind of environment and to see them in their natural environment and to to get to witness mother nature kind of in all her glory and so friday night was pretty phenomenal we had a cold front which you probably had as well yeah. uh, you had been on the tail end of it sunday i guess it was starting to warm up by yeah. then yeah but the cold front come through the midwest and so friday night was awesome was super good i saw um, right out of the gate, I got in the stand at like two 30 and I thought, you know, dad's the king of, you got to sit there and stay there and be there early and stay there late. You know, all mm-hmm. those things. And a lot of times it's just talk. And, uh, so we got in there and, and, uh, sure enough, two 30, here comes a buck hitting a scrape, you know, and I'm bow hunting on Friday. So hit a scrape, maybe, I don't know, maybe hundred yards away at the end of the field and uh, beautiful deer. And, you know, all night long from there on, we saw tons of deer. 
uh, had a um, gnarly seven-pointer that would have – I mean he looked like he was at least four, maybe five, and I would have shot him if he would have came close enough. But of course as he comes right past my spot, he, he was chasing a doe and he squirted through there so quickly. And uh, he, he was at 50 yards anyway, so I would have had to, you know, effective range, get him a little closer anyhow. But we watched this deer. So there was a, a three-year-old 10-pointer. That was the first deer I saw. And then the seven-year-old or seven-pointer. And we watched them basically, especially the seven-pointer, just show dominance across this entire field of spikes and forks and other does, checking every doe. I mean, it was amazing to watch this. And we were sitting over biologic, but – it was, they were headed to beans. So beans were right past us. And dad had a hunch that with those cold temperatures and actually Saturday morning was our first frost of the year there, uh, that they were going to be hitting beans Friday night. And they, they did, they all just crushed the beans. And, wow. um, and what I started noticing is all the bucks that I saw, none of these real big mature deer, the, the, the trophy, mature deer that dad had on the farm. So I'm thinking, well, this is, you know, maybe they're, they are locked down here. And, um, so Saturday morning gun season, we're gun hunting and we're sitting one of dad's best spots and, um, not far from where we were the night before and all the deer, you know, coming from beans, going back to bed. And, you know, there are, they're coming out of bed and hitting the beans. And it was amazing. We saw another 30 deer probably. And just, it's just not, you know, it's one of those things where you're sitting there. Like I kept saying to the camera guy, I'm like, man, like this is not realistic to what (laughs) is like, but, um, saw no, no big shooters, um, you know, trophy deer, but saw a ton of deer and saw some four-year-olds that had good racks that, need another year so passed a few deer saturday same saturday night same thing sunday morning uh had our second frost i decided to sit a whole different spot that was probably i don't know half a mile from where i had been maybe half a mile from where i had been sitting in the interior it was kind of more closer to the perimeter of dad's property but still close to the bedding area and there's biologic there and there were beans so biologic to our right and beans right in front of us, but the beans they had annihilated. And I mean, they're almost gone already. So it was kind of like the remnants of beans and, um, right out of the gate, man, we saw a three-year-old 10 pointer and he come out and he was with a doe. And I thought to myself, this is, this is going to be a good morning. I could just feel it. And shortly after that, a doe popped out right underneath us. She's eating at the beans. She's all alone, which you didn't see if there, the two days before that, if you saw a doe by herself, there was a buck of no matter what yeah. age class was going to go check her, dog her, chase her. Saturday, we actually filmed a breeding encounter. Really? So, yeah, three-year-old 10-pointer bred a doe in front of us. So wow. um, so Sunday morning, this doe's sitting out in front of us. It's not even 7 o'clock yet, so it's still very early. And I look out the corner. I was sitting on Dad's place. He's got a few box blinds. So we were sitting on a box blind that he actually built for Taylor – to hunt there when she was real little hmm. and um i look out the side and here comes this buck visibly bigger body wise than anything i had seen in the two days before that and i had seen a lot of deer so instantly i knew okay no matter i didn't even really pay attention to his rack i just said all right i said to the camera guy i said oh, oh shooter you know we're gonna we're gonna try to kill this deer yep. and so he come into us and he's coming i mean he locked in on that doe come right to us 
And uh, he walked within bow range. He was 15 steps from the front of our box. And so I actually let him walk out a little further in front of us just to try to give myself a little bit better of an angle with my, with my rifle. So I open the window, he's walking away and he's quarter, he's quartering away. Okay. Well, let me think about this. He's quartering away slightly, but he's kind of almost like butt facing us. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. he's walking away from us right now, yep. but he gave me enough of his shoulder that I put it right on him and I, you know, I squeeze it happened fast. So, you know, I didn't stop him or anything cause he was looking around and I didn't want to spook him, so I just I pulled the trigger. And I'm shooting that deer season XP, hmm. and the freaking trauma that that bullet gives is it's pretty. The kinetic energy is pretty intense. Well, he was only 40 yards away from us anyway, so he took every bit of it. Well, he runs off. He runs into the timber another 30 yards, 20 yards, or whatever. And um, I felt good about it, but. You know, we rolled back the footage, which is, as you know, the liberty of filming your hunts. You kind of get to replay it over and over. And so we looked at the footage. It is. And I thought, shoot, this deer is kind of – first of all, he was more quartering away than I thought. And I didn't aim for the off shoulder as you would quartering away to try to hit the vitals better. I I had it right on his his shoulder that was closest to me. And I started – it planted in my mind. I'm like, Oh my gosh, did this first chance, first chance Uh-oh. in two years. And did I screw this up? You know, I hate that and feeling. It's, it, it's a low feeling uh-huh. <laughs> and camera guys like, no man, that deer is dead. And I'm like, I'm, you know, but boy, where I felt like I hit him, it was, a, I knew I broke his shoulder, but I just didn't know if I caught part of the heart or not. You right. know, I didn't think I'd catch any lungs. So we sit there. I want to get down. I want to go back, walk back to camp. And another doe pops out. I'm like right underneath this. I was like, hey, hey, right here. Here comes a four-year-old buck, better rack, chasing her all over the field. I mean, it was crazy. It was nuts. And we see him, and got footage of it, breed that doe in front of us maybe 70 yards. And then after that, we see a five-year-old jump out of the timber. And we're close to betting. And he's – up staying on his hind legs up in this tree pulling down with his rack pulling down this branch no and chasing all over the place it was the craziest morning i've ever seen which if we would have got out right away we would have missed the best part of the day right and wow. uh, so we let all that kind of subside and um and we finally we get down you know by this point it's probably close to 10 o'clock so we had sat there for a while and just let the morning play out i looked for blood didn't see any blood and so we walked back to camp, looked at it on the big TV, felt pretty good about it. I talked to Mark Drury, talked to dad, finally came out of his spot. And uh, dad instantly, he was like, man, he goes, I've killed a lot of deer that looked like this. And what, what he meant by that, the tail was wagging as he ran into the timber, hmm. which isn't a great sign, honestly. You, 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 on a good killing shot, usually they tuck that tail kind of right up, you know, right up the butt. Right. And they where they're you know they're just kind of stoved up well he didn't do that until he reached the timber and which was one of the other reasons i was really concerned dad's like man i i have killed a lot of deer where i felt like i didn't make the best shot and they were doing that with their tail and they were laying dead right there so we got the guns went in went in there <laughs> i literally stepped in the timber five feet 
and he's laying dead right there. That's <laughs> so awesome. All that worry, and there he was. <laughs> he was dead instantly. Didn't run, you know, 40 yards. So it was a good That's, day. That is awesome. Sounds like an incredible day. And it, it, was, it, it was a really nice buck, too. It was. Yeah, it was very nice. And uh, the monkey's off my back. You know, I had a tough year last year. Didn't kill anything. I missed one with my bow. So it felt good, to say the yeah. least. And the pressure is off for the rest of the season. Yeah. I got a couple tags in Illinois. I got uh, my Missouri archery tag. But I'm just kind of going to play it by ear and hopefully hit some cold fronts and get after it when I can yeah. and keep mama happy at home. Yeah, that's important <laughs> for future years of hunts. <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. <laughs> so that's it was awesome. all good. So between the two of us, we had a really good Sunday. We did. Yeah. That was same day. That was awesome. It's uh, yeah. it, it's hard to say, you know, what it was, whether it was that cold front, you know, that came through or if it just happened to be, you know, like, like we were saying, maybe there's some lockdown and those bucks were coming off though. Um, I don't know, but it worked out for us, so uh, I can't complain. I think it was a little bit of both of those things because from what I saw, the the, the biggest deer were locked down, okay? But the kind of the hierarchy of the herd, you could kind of tell the not-as-good four-year-olds and then all the three-year-olds, the two-year-olds, they were chasing, they were looking, they were breeding. And, you know, that deer that, that I killed the next Sunday morning, he was old. Like he was a deer that he was a dominant buck in that area, no doubt. And we feel like he, you know, he had gotten done with his first doe and he was looking for a second one. That mm-hmm. doe in front of us totally pulled him right into us. And and dad said since then, so that was today's Thursday and that was Sunday, he said the farm has gone to hell. <laughs> he said it, really? he hadn't seen any deer, hardly any does, hardly anything. And he's sitting all day, you know, morning because he's still got his gun tag. And he said – that he feels like, they, at least on his place, that they went from lockdown and they skipped that desperately seeking say, stage where they're looking for their second available, yeah. you know, and they're in like the party's over already where they're like nothing's happening and everything's recouping and that's just his experience on that particular piece. So I don't know. I don't know yeah, what, the, what phase they're in, but they were definitely in lockdown, I feel like. The rut every year, I'm like, I always go into the rut, I think, Maybe we all sort of do like we always go into it with like, oh, it's the rut. It's going to be incredible. There's going to be so much action. You know, we dream of it all year. And then every single year, I feel like 85 to 90 percent of my time out hunting during the rut is just dead. It's just (laughs) like, wow, this is the worst. But it's just you just have to grind through the slow periods because then you get these bursts of action where all of a sudden you do get that, you know, that rutting that you dream of. Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of like, can you persevere through the slow times? It just always seems it's, it's hot and cold. Um, at least with the spots I hunt, it's, well, it's well, interesting. The, the weird part about it. I often wonder if you're sitting in a spot and you're not seeing anything, d- does your mind always wonder to what your other spot is doing? Like, okay, maybe I'm just in the wrong spot today. Yeah. You know, there's, and, there's eight bucks and a hot dough at the other tree stand right now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, who knows? And, and unless you got multiple crews out, you yeah. really don't get a good understanding of what's happening unless you're running a ton of right. trail cameras. I often, I just often wonder that. It's like, all right, my spot's not great, but what's the other spot doing right now? Mm-hmm. Is yeah. it, then, you know, am I just sitting in bed and I need to be on food or what, you know, what's the case here? Yeah. And then, you know, during the rut too, not only is all this happening, but also that's the time of year when we spend the most hours in the tree stand. So there's a whole lot of hours to sit there and stew on this stuff. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I find myself just thinking and rethinking and like, oh, what am I doing wrong? Or why isn't it happening? Or I'm not going to kill one this rut. And <laughs> you can drive yourself nuts if you're not careful. 
How are your midday sets? How are how was like ten to nine to two, nine to three for you? For the most part, lousy. Um, <laughs> except for the very first day, I saw what was probably a three year old at eleven thirty cruise through. Um, otherwise, I think it was just you know pretty warm temperatures for this time of year down there. I mean, we're talking like sixty degrees, sixty two, oh. sixty five degrees or something. Um, so other than that one midday cruiser, that was basically it. Um, gotcha. I saw Forky one day at midday. I saw two Dauphins, that kind of thing, but uh, but nothing real great. You know, in other years I've seen good midday action, but just wasn't happening this time. Yeah. As what? When does Ohio's gun season come in? It's late. It's uh, typically the first week of December. Oh wow. Okay. Well, that gives that gives everybody in Ohio a pretty good chance to try to get their one buck. Yes. <laughs> Before oh, it comes in. It's so nice. I wish we had that in Michigan. Selfishly, you know, I wish that we had the full month of November to bow hunt because really it's probably similar for you guys in Missouri. Once yeah. opening day gun season happens here in Michigan on the 15th, it's just everything's completely different. I mean, you don't see regular rutting action. You don't see regular deer behavior. It's all totally new based on hunting pressure. And basically that just means they're locked in the deepest, darkest, nastiest cover they can until afterwards. So, yeah. Yeah, it's very similar in Missouri. The, the lease last year shut down after, like, even my cameras, which I had quite a few out. I'm like, all right, nothing's moving anywhere except, you know, late, late season when they got on that heavy feed pattern. I'm talking yep. like end of December, early January. I started, which the neighbor, it they were mostly on the neighbors. And then I had some beans where they'd filter, but it'd be so late by the time they got to me. But other than that, I just, it like, the, the farm shut down. So I'm hoping that it's not the same way this year, but yeah. I have a, a eerie feeling that it may be. Yeah. I, uh, it's very similar. here. And I think one of the keys, and it sounds like you've got it and I've got it. So hopefully this will work out is having that late season food because like, okay, they're going to, they're going to go down into a hole during gun season. But hopefully, you know, once you get those good cold temperatures and some snow and stuff, if you have the late season food, eventually they're going to get comfortable again if you keep the pressure off. And so my plan, you know, like we talked about earlier, um, is just to keep the pressure almost to zero on this farm until it's gone around me, you know, so that the other hunting pressure on neighboring properties is gone. And then hopefully take advantage of, of Holyfield uh, finally getting hungry enough to go out in daylight on one of these spots. So... Let's hope so. I hope you get him, man. That'd be uh, a good end of the year for sure. Oh my goodness, I would. Uh, I might have a heart attack if it actually happens. Now I've seen him like twenty-two times or something this year. It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> a lot of anticipation leading into the finale. <laughs> oh man, that's the truth. But uh, but it's been fun. So yeah, hopefully we'll get a good story on that someday, and hopefully you'll have the hook story. Hopefully. Maybe it'll be on the same day. <laughs> <laughs> if that happened, that'd be pretty crazy. <laughs> that would be pretty crazy. Well, uh, we we do have to we have to answer questions still. We've uh, done a good job here of of rambling. So, should we get to our question of the day here real quick too? Absolutely. Hi guys, this is Jason from Somerset, Ohio, and I've got a question concerning a situation that I usually encounter at least once or twice each bow season, and that is having deer come into your location at the end of the hunt course this is in the evening time i'm usually hunting by myself in heavily wooded areas i've tried different tactics throughout the years but i would be really interested in to hear how you guys address the situation i appreciate you taking the time and really enjoy the podcast thank you well uh i think this is a, this is a good one to talk about because I'm not sure about what your situation there was on Terry's farm but at least on my farms in Ohio getting out in the evening 
is has been really crucial to like keeping deer activity decent throughout yeah. the season, especially like when we're there for a full week or something. Um, so I've dealt with this situation a lot. I've got a lot of properties that are mostly field, and mm-hmm. then you have to you have to somehow you know deal with that situation crossing that field without spooking deer if possible when you're trying to get out, and that's like the toughest. Um, so. I guess I'll share a couple things I've done, Matt. I don't know yeah. if it makes any sense to other people, but probably the best thing I usually try to do is if deer comes in, you know, right at last light. Well, let me take a step back. Sometimes when it's like really dead and there's no action going on and it's like, okay, we've got like one minute left or whatever it is, a legal shooting light. I'll try to pack up my stuff and get out of there as fast as I can before deer come out. If I can sneak out before there's deer to spook, that's like a great situation. Yeah. Um, if not, I'll just sit it out and wait and hope that those deer will move off before I have to get out of the tree stand and go. Um, so I've done that. I've been stuck in a tree stand for half hour, 45 minutes, hour after dark, just waiting. Um, so I've done that. Um, another thing I've done is just try to spook the deer off by getting the coyotes to howl. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've done this a few different times where I will have everything packed up and ready to go. And then I'll just start howling like a coyote. And if you're in an area where there's a lot of other yotes, lots of times they'll pick up and start howling with you. Um, I've had this happen many times where I'll get the whole pack all around me going, and that's usually enough to get these deer a little bit, okay, I don't like this, and they'll go (laughs) scampering off. Yeah. Um, Funny story of that, Tillo. Once before I felt confident in my coyote howling ability, me and a buddy were hunting a a property in Illinois. This was like, I don't know, eight years ago or ten years ago or something like that. And he was filming me. And we're sitting in the tree and like a bunch of deer come in and there was like what we thought was a nice buck underneath us. Like you could see just like a frame. Yeah. Um, and so he was kind of, he moved off, but we knew they were close. So we're like, okay, we can't just walk out because, you know, if you, if you consistently are spooking deer in the evening from near your tree stand, that's going to, you know, that's going to impact things moving forward. So we're like, all right, we need to do something. So I'm like, I'm like, Corey, can you make any good, like, can you make a coyote howl or something to scare these deer away? And no joke. He's like dead serious. He's like, well. I can do a pretty good squirrel call. I'm like a squirrel call. <laughs> so I don't he, know too many deer that are scared of squirrels. Yeah, so he's like chit chattering like a squirrel. I'm just laughing like this is the most ridiculous thing. So finally, I was, okay, that's not going to work, Corey. We're just going to both try howling like a coyote. So we did like a one, two, three, and we both started howling. And I think we sounded like complete idiots, and we probably just spooked a lot of deer in a bad way. <laughs> but <laughs> but since then, I've gotten better, and um and that seems to work sometimes. Um. But the absolute best thing I've found, and it's not always possible, um, but when I've been hunting here in Michigan, I'm hunting a property that's close enough to my home that I've, uh, and I can't remember if I've talked about this on the past on this one, but I know I've talked about it on Wired Hunt. I have convinced my wife to help me by driving my ATV or my truck out to this property. She's a good woman. She's a very good woman. And so she spooks the deer off the field and picks me up at the base of the tree stand um, when I'm hunting a field edge and that has been a lifesaver. I think that's probably one of the single biggest reasons why I keep seeing Holyfield because not once have I had to walk out and spook deer off the field. Every yeah. time it's been the vehicle. Um, I know it's a luxury that not, you can't always, you know, that's not always possible, but in this situation I've been able to do that. And, uh, I think it's made a huge, huge difference. Um, so those are the few of the things I've done. Um, I don't know, but what about you? Yeah, I mean that that's hands down the the best tactic we could use if if you're able to. So on the lease, I don't ever get to use that tactic. When we're at dad's, usually he will, you know, I could text him and say, "Hey, we're covered up." 
and he'll drive the hunt V, you know, the electric cart right to us. And he leaves the lights on. And, you know, cause what we've noticed, especially at, at their farms is the deer will come right back out. You know, they, a lot of times they might even just sit there and stare at the, the, the cart drive by, you know, they're just kind of used to it. It's kind of like that theory with the farmer. Everybody always says, Oh, the, you know, the farmer's always like, ah, he, that don't scare him or this don't, Oh, they're used to it. Well, kind of the same situation on Mark and dad's farms that they get used to that cart going through, you know, the property. He doesn't like to do it a lot, but he does, you know, that's been a successful tip. One thing that I know that they do a lot, or dad specifically, he actually, he's got a really good owl hoot, natural voice owl hoot, and he'll like just kind of, kind of the backside of wherever he's hunting, he'll keep, you know, doing his owl hoot and, and louder and louder and louder. And a lot of times other owls will kick in kind of like your theory with the coyotes. (laughs) And I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's just that it's a loud noise is what gets them to, you know, kind of start running off or what, but you wouldn't think an owl would get them to clear a field, but he, I mean, I've been with him a plenty of times where it really works and he sounds very, I mean, he sounds just like an owl. So, uh, he's done that a lot on this weekend. Me personally, I mean, I have, I can't owl hoot and I can't, (laughs) I mean, howl like a coyote, I suppose, but I don't know that it would sound very good. (laughs) You got to try it this time, man. (laughs) I I may have to, but me and my camera guy, we looked at each other and I go, can you owl hoot? And he goes, I was just going to ask you the same thing. (laughs) It ain't pretty. So we sat there in the dark and sat there for probably, you know, 45 minutes past dark. And finally, you know, you could kind of look with your binoculars to see bodies. Mm -hmm. And I felt like we had the least amount of bodies on the field at that time, maybe two or three, you know, I was like, all right, let's, let's go as quickly as we can. And, you know, of course, staying quiet and getting down and just head down and get, you know, get, get out with the same type of mentality you're getting in, you know, quiet about it. And, um, and we seem to not do any harm on the lease. It's a little different. I mean, it's, you know, my spots, I don't hunt. This guy said he hunts deep in the timber for evening sets, I I can't say that I hunt deep timber sets in evening, you know, for evening hunts really hardly ever. I or haven't in the past. I'm usually on a field edge, kind of trying to capital or a staging area, trying to capitalize on the fact that they're coming out of the timber and going to a certain food source. Um, so that would be a little bit tougher, I would think. If you were, you know, to your point, you might have to coyote howl or something because that would be tough you can't drive there you you know if you got down i I mean i would think that would be one of those deals where you would have to wait till it got pretty dark until you started trying to slowly get out of there so that's a that's a tough one yeah the the one bright side i guess though is like you know i think the worst case scenario is when you're like on the edge of a great big field you know because those like a destination food source because those deer are going to get there and then just stay feeding there for a long time well, if you are back in the timber or if you're on like a little transition food plot or in one of those kind of staging areas, there's a pretty good likelihood that they're going to move on eventually. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of like in a perfect world. If you can set up in the evening in one of those like transition areas or, you know, just off the main food source enough that they'll move past you and then you can sneak out the backside without them ever seeing you. I mean, that's the perfect situation, but that's just not always possible. Yeah. Um, that's a good question though. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of those things that I think I think, and I don't know if this is true or not, it's a theory, but I think probably 95%, 99% of serious deer hunters know 
that they need to try to exit without spooking deer. Yeah. I think that probably 50% of people know it, but say, ah, screw it. I'm just going back to the truck. And they go walking right past all these deer and go right to the truck. Yeah. Um, I say that because I know a lot of friends that do that. And because I've had times when I'm like, oh, I just want to get home. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's tough sometimes to like deal with the fact you need to sit in your stand an extra hour or walk an extra mile to go back the other way and avoid those deer. But yeah. You know, like we always talk about, I think when it comes to hunting mature bucks, it really does come down to all these little things and, you know, always crossing your T's and dotting your I's and paying attention to little stuff like this, like getting out without spooking deer, getting in without spooking deer. Um, if you do enough of those little things, they add up. And I think um, that's been, I, th- I say it a thousand times, this is nothing new, but that's like for me, like the biggest revelation that has kind of helped me become a more successful hunter is just paying attention to those details and, mm-hmm. um, and not getting lazy. Stacking the odds in your favor. It's just the same with the equipment. You know, everybody yeah. always says, well, how'd they ever kill deer in the, you know, the fifties and the sixties. It's like, yeah, I mean, I, I hear you. That's, you know, obviously people have been killing deer forever, but you know, if I can get one more advantage into my favor, I'm going to try it at the very yeah. least, you know? So yeah. this is, to your point of just trying to make sure you don't disturb their natural habitat or you disturb it at the very, the very least you can. I actually was talking to Ryan, the guy that was filming, um, my lease partner all week. I'm like, all right, did you know, give me the details? Did you spook any deer? Did you, you know, right. check my cameras? <laughs> what time did you check uh-huh. them? And all that good stuff. But you know, my, my lease partner sent me a text. He's like, Oh, we, we peed in them all. We crapped in them. And they, uh, they give me, give me grief. I'm like, Hey, I'm just saying, I'm, I take a lot of precautions. <laughs> and let's not blow it here yeah. in the run. <laughs> you know, what's funny is I think on one of our past podcasts, we were talking about scrapes and um i think we had talked about the fact that i can't remember if you do but i definitely pee in my mock yeah, scrapes i do too. um okay so yeah we were talking about that joking about that well i've gotten several different tweets from people who heard that podcast and have tried it and killed bucks over their pee scrapes so <laughs> yeah i've got the like, nice. yeah a couple people are like yeah i killed one over the me pee scrape <laughs> <laughs> awesome it works yeah you know interestingly enough though i mean i have had since even our podcast i've done it on a couple scrapes and not on a on a couple so just almost like testing it Mm -hmm. in my own mind and i've had a few where hook would then start avoiding the scrapes that he used to hit all the time and then he he would hit you know i put buck bomb out on another one and you know, I got a new buck, you know, so it was interesting. Hmm. You know, I would get deer. I would always get bucks at the scrapes I peed in, but it varied as to which deer and, and how quickly they come to the scrape after I did pee in it. So I don't know. It's, it's a weird, it's weird. I don't, I don't know if I'll ever really figure that part out. That's uh, I guess that's the story of the mature bucks, right? There's a whole lot yeah. to try to figure out that'll probably take us our whole lives. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, uh, we need to kill these deer so we can have <laughs> More good stories like we had today, I guess, Matt. So should we wrap it up? Let's do it, buddy. All right. Well, my only, I guess, reminder for everyone, and we've been getting a lot of great questions. I wish we could answer all of them. Um, We we have a lot to catch up on, Matt. (laughs) Um, (laughs) If you want to submit your question, you can go to wiredtohunt.com slash 100% wild. Submit your audio question. We are getting through them as quickly as we can, and there's lots of good ones out there. So thank you for sending in your questions so far. And then uh, you can stay up to date on my hunt for Holyfield over at Wired to Hunt and the Wired to Hunt podcast and all of our different social media things along those lines. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or wherever it is you get your podcast. So uh, that's all for me. What about you, Matt? 
Yeah, if you want to watch the video version of the podcast, make sure and go to our YouTube channel, Jury Outdoors, and you can subscribe there. Uh, not only can you watch the 100% Wild podcast, but you can check out new DOD TV episodes. We're putting roughly one brand new episode as far as like content that's never been seen anywhere before. New hunts that we're putting out each week. Uh, Jake Kincaid, one of our editors in here, is doing a great job putting these original hunts out. We do a throwback Thursday hunt every week. We got new episodes of, of Natural Barn, um, our show that's over in Pursuit that we've been putting up on on there, I think Wildlife Obsession. So we got all yeah. kinds of content we're putting on YouTube uh, on our Jury Outdoors channel right now. And we've seen our views just skyrocket here. And historically, they always do during this time anyways. Time we, of year. It's time of year. But – um, we've been putting a heavy focus on it. And so check that out. You can always check out juryoutdoors.com and see our journal, see what the teams out there killing, where they're killing them at with what weapons, the stories behind them. And then by all means, check out our social media, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram at jury outdoors. And, um, you don't want to miss it. We've been doing a lot of live updates each phase. And uh, those have been going over really well. Mark and Dad kind of break down the phase uh, that we're getting ready to come into and kind of just show you what they've been seeing or give you a couple tactics on maybe something you can try out. So check us out and uh, good luck. I mean, hopefully everybody's having some success and using some of these um, tips and some of our failures and, and yeah. learning along the way. That's the whole point of it anyway. So Absolutely. safe out there and having luck. Yeah, and if you're not having luck, just remember me and Matt's stories here, right? We've had our struggles, we've had our debacles, but if you keep at it, good things can happen. So just keep on grinding. That's right. All good right. luck out there. Thanks, everyone, for listening, for watching, and like Matt said, shoot straight. Peace.